Hi, I'm Matt Dawson and welcome to Ortho Science Bites. Today I'm joined by Dr. Arturo Casadevall. Dr. Casadevall is a professor of medicine at the Johns Hopkins School of Medicine. He holds a joint appointment in molecular microbiology and immunology at the Johns Hopkins Bloomberg School of Public Health. His research focuses on how microbes cause disease and how the immune system defends itself. Dr. Casadevall serves as chair of the W.H. Harry Finestone Department of Molecular Microbiology and Immunology at the Johns Hopkins Bloomberg School of Public Health. Dr. Casadevall's work has been recognized with numerous awards, including the American Society for Microbiology Founders Distinguished Service Award, the National Institutes of Health Merit Award, and the Rhoda Benham Award from Medical Mycology Society of America. He was elected to the National Academy of Medicine and the American Academy of Arts and Sciences. Thank you so much for joining us today, Dr. Casadevall. Thank you for having me, Matt. Our pleasure. So to open up today's conversation, our, our topic is really going to be trying to understand more about um, some of the changes in, in convalescent plasma and effects of COVID. So, you know, what has been the history of the COVID-19 with use of plasma? Months ago, we heard all kinds of stories about convalescent plasma or CCP. Uh, we don't really hear a lot about that anymore. So kind of what's happened, what have we learned and what's changed? So a lot has happened uh, in the past uh, year and a half. Um, Back in March, um, the FDA allowed convalescent plasma to be used for the treatment of patients and uh, in the United States. And there was a huge effort. Uh, community organizers, people, donors uh, donated a lot of plasma. And that and about a half a million people were treated with plasma in the United States. Uh, that was a triumph. That was something that didn't exist before the pandemic, and yet it, the, uh, it was possible to put it in place. Everyone cooperated, industry, physicians, donors, hospitals, community organizers. And we have shown that an inverse correlation between plasma use and mortality in the United States. What that means is that the more plasma that was used, the fewer deaths. And then in the winter, something happened. And what happened was that randomized clinical trials done in other countries came back with negative data. That is, that convalescent plasma was not uh, uh, reducing mortality. And that led to a reduction in the use of plasma in the United States. Sadly, we have been able to document that as less plasma has been used, death went up. And in fact, uh, we documented about 30,000 excess deaths between December of 2020 and March of 2021. And the problem arises in, in that how physicians look at the data. There is a lot of data out there that if you give high titer, that a plasma with a lot of antibody early in the course of disease, that you can help the outcome of COVID-19. The problem with these clinical trials is a lot of them looked at very sick patients. So we had a situation in which negative data influenced how physicians responded to, the, to plasma, less was used, and we are working very hard to, with frontline physicians to educate them uh, on, on what the actual evidence is because we think that early use of convalescent plasma during the Delta surge could reduce mortality. 
That's fascinating. So you know, what are we learning now at this point about immunity, either natural or acquired through vaccines for this virus, SARS-CoV-2? So uh, the good, we have a lot of good news and we have some news that is disturbing. So the, the good news is that remarkably, uh, many vaccines were made in a very short period of time and that these vaccines elicit very strong immune responses. And these immune responses are protective. That is, people who are vaccinated are much, much less likely to get sick, to have to go to the hospital, or to die than non-vaccinated people. However, we also have learned that there are variants out there who have, with the potential to undermine some of these uh, vaccine uh, immunity. Uh, and the concern right now is that as the Delta variant spreads through the communities, that it's continuing to reproduce and that it may generate variants that are resistant to the vaccine immunity. So the take home message is that we got to work really hard to get more, more and more people vaccinated because the more people you get vaccinated, the fewer chances the virus has to replicate. And the fewer chances the virus has to replicate, the less likely that we're going to be dealing with all the variants, uh, with all the Greek letters of the alphabet. You know, in talking about uh, some of these vaccines being potentially more susceptible to some of the new variants, there's been a lot of data out there among uh, some of the more traditional vaccines versus the mRNA ones. Are we seeing differences in how they are responding to different variants uh, and ability to prevent future variations? So there is, uh, there is data that is emerging almost daily that there are differences, and, and that is to be expected. These vaccines are different formulations, and the, and the variant is changing. But, but I think the common theme and the, and the common message is that people who are vaccinated do better, no matter what, whether you got one type of vaccine or the other. So if you're vaccinated, you're much more protected to the Delta variant. There may be differences in between the vaccines into some are might be better than others, but these are small relative to the enormous protection that you get if you're vaccinated. Thanks. And that's, I think, a really great takeaway to have here. So thank you for that. And, you know, from your perspective and experience, how do you see antibody and antigen testing helping with accuracy of diagnosis, uh, treatments or other care or guidelines in this pandemic? Uh, I, I think that both antibody and antigen testing are incredibly important weapons against this virus. Uh, today, we have available over-the-counter tests for testing antigen. That means that if somebody, for example, gets sick, they have a runny nose, they can go and, and, and buy a home test. And if they are positive, it, can, it should be confirmed with a PCR test. But if they are positive, they can immediately isolate themselves and not spread the virus. That's something that we didn't have a year ago. So antigen tests are, are, are really important in, in providing rapid information that people can use to protect those around them. Antibody tests are also very important. They are very important because they provide evidence who has been infected. They provide evidence of what is the response to the vaccine. Is it going down, for example, for immunocompromised people? We know that they don't make as strong antibody responses. 
So having these tests available, easy to use, are going to be really important tools as we go forward in controlling this pandemic. Great. And I think, of course, the, uh, the million-dollar question everyone has is, what insights do you have based on your experience and you know, maybe thoughts you have about how these variants may drive the course of the pandemic over the next few months? So I think the, the, the most important thing is to be humble and to say, I don't know. However, there are some things that we can say. The variants, are, we have been behind this virus at every step. And no one, certainly not I, not the CDC, anticipated the, what we, is going on in late summer, this, this surge. So what you had is you had a variant that emerged that can replicate a lot faster and, can, and can, is much more contagious. And it's, it's causing a tremendous increase in cases. The, the more the virus replicates, the more chance you have to have new variants. So when you read about a case, you read about an individual who got, who, who got infected where the virus replicated, that person has a chance of generating a new variant. So it becomes enormously important to drive down the curve because if you, you're going to have to drive it down to nothing to make sure that you're going to have no new variants. Whereas when you have the situation we have today of over 100,000 cases per day, well, that's 100,000 people where the virus is replicating and you could have additional variants. So with the best scenario I can see is that we continue to vaccinate that the, and the Delta variant doesn't change very much, that is in response to vaccine immunity, and that then we're able to drive the curve down and contain it. The worst case scenario is, as we're talking today in the next few weeks, that a new variant will arise that will defeat vaccine immunity. If that happens, we know what to do. Basically, a new vaccine is going to have to be regenerated, generated very rapidly. Last year, they were able to do it in less than a year. I anticipate that it will be possible to do it in, in a sh in shorter period of time. And I can assure you that people are looking into this already. We, we're looking at, at different type scenarios uh, going forward. I'm an optimist. I try to think that we're going to be able to get this under control, but we need to be prepared for uh, the eventuality that a variant like Delta emerges that can defeat vaccine immunity. And if that happens, then we need to respond very quickly because even the vaccinated will be susceptible. Thank you so much. So I have uh, one last question for you before I let you go. Um, you know, based on your experiences, what key learnings would you have or recommendations would you have for hospitals or labs as they're thinking about how to manage this or future disease spreads? I think testing, testing, testing is really important here. If you think back to last spring, part of the problem we had was that we were behind as a country in testing. Uh, the, this virus has been ahead of us because either we haven't tested enough we haven't sequenced enough. We haven't evaluated enough. So I am a believer that in, in terms of defense against COVID and its variants, that the more information we have and the more rapid information we have, the more likely that we are going to be able to put society back uh, to normal. Because if you know who's infected, you can do something about it. 
if you know who's immune, then you can basically do something about it. You worry less about it in that case. But information is key. And that's where we have been behind cons consistently in our response to COVID-19. Fascinating. So thank you so much. Uh, this really brings us to the end of our conversation today with Dr. Casa Deval and the key learnings of this COVID-19 pandemic for the Transfusion Medicine Lab. So I want to personally, again, thank you so much for this fascinating discussion and for sharing your expertise with us and all of our listeners today. Thank you, Matt, for interviewing me. So I hope everyone enjoyed this podcast episode about the key learnings from the COVID-19 pandemic. Make sure to review sections within this podcast description for reading materials we've suggested. There you'll find some additional papers or studies. Uh, so based on today's podcast, I leave you with our pop quiz. What do you think the key learnings are about immunity, either natural or acquired to COVID-19? You can go back and listen again if you want some more detail. So thank you so much for listening today. Please subscribe to Ortho Science Bites, our monthly podcast, where we will be discussing more complex questions we face every day in our labs, brought to you by Ortho Clinical Diagnostics, pioneering advances in diagnostics for 80 years, because every test is a life. Take care, stay healthy, and safe.